The Guardian. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Media Talk with me, Matt Wells, live from the 2010 Radio Festival in Salford. It's, it's not really the time for celebration, I'm afraid, though. It's a very cold day here in Salford and the chilly winds of conservative change have been blown through the BBC. In a dramatic 72 hours of meetings conducted behind closed doors, news broke that the licence fee has been frozen for six years and the government has handed the BBC a laundry list of other expensive activities that it wants the corporation to pay for itself. These include picking up the £272 million tab for the World Service, as well as another £21 million for BBC monitoring, plus the bills for S4C, Jeremy Hunt's local TV idea, rural broadband rollout, um, and the extension of the digital radio network. Oh, and uh, Ed Vasey's subscription to the Times website as well. Um, it'll all add up to about £340 million a year by 2015, a not inconsiderable sum. Uh, well, joining me here on the stage to discuss all of this, uh, plus the other highlights from the radio festival, we have Media Guardian columnist Maggie Brown as well as Paul Robinson, the Managing Director of Kidsco TV, and Matthew Bannister, who's a former Chief Executive of BBC Broadcast and Director of BBC Radio, now a presenter on the World Service. Uh, Maggie, it really feels like a big moment, doesn't it? It's a historic, huge moment. It's a terrible moment for the BBC. It's a terrible moment for licence fee pairs. Uh, the BBC has been, or allowed itself to be treated in a brutal way, uh, and I'm, I'm thoroughly shocked. Um, it's, uh, I mean, this is top slicing by any other name, isn't it? It's top slicing, it's bullying, it's uh, creating an as yet unknown deal between, you might say, the Foreign Office and the BBC over whatever it is the World Service is supposed to, to be doing. Um, it's uh, creating a, a huge dent, really, in, in, in the BBC's uh, funding. I, don't th I mean, I have been reporting on media for 25 years and I wouldn't say the BBC is perfect, but this is a dreadful day and it's not just for the staff. You can present this as a wonderful for, for license fee payers. It's a fixed uh, license fee for six years. You won't have to pay any more. But the reality is that money that they think, or we think we're paying for good television services, radio, online, um, is being shunted off for other projects. And uh, it's, it's entirely wrong. Matthew Bannister, you've been involved in... Uh, license fee negotiations before. This is an extraordinary way to, 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 to negotiate the, a new license fee, isn't it? In the middle of a license fee term and over, over three days. Yes, it is an absolutely unprecedented situation that um, this seems to have happened incredibly quickly. And it seems to have happened as a result of the threat that the government made to force the BBC to pay for the free licences for the elderly over 75. That would have been a far, far worse outcome for the BBC. I agree with Maggie, this is not a great day for the BBC. Uh, it's not a great settlement. But the BBC could have been in a much, much worse position if it had an open-ended commitment to fund from the licence fee a benefit, effectively, that it was taking on a welfare payment... Uh, which is a political payment with an ageing population which was growing, and that payment would have been in excess of £500 million now to say nothing of what it would have been in the future. So um, although this is not a, a good settlement for the BBC, and it does mean that the BBC is going to have to make cuts, I think that the situation it could have found itself in would have been far, far more disastrous and would have left it as a sort of arm of, of, of government policy. Uh, Paul, do, uh, do you agree that, that, uh, that it's sort of the lesser of two evils? 
I think Matthew's right. I think the, the independence of the BBC is very important, and this does mean the BBC retains its independence, and that is a very important part, I think, of the way the BBC operates. And if you compare with other public service broadcasters, for example, CBC in Canada or even the ABC in Australia, the fact they have to take part advertising and get money in for other ways does change the way they operate as a public service broadcaster. So independence is important. I think also we should remember that you know, the, the times are tough. You know, the economy is tough. People are suffering. And I think the BBC needs to demonstrate that it too will actually take some of that pain. The question really is whether this is so much pain it's going to have an impact on services or whether the BBC genuinely can actually look at what it does, look at how it does things and find those services internally. And I hope that with £3 billion in income, which is sizable by any measure, uh, the BBC can hopefully do most of this without impacting what goes on the screen or appears on the radio. Well, we'll come to what could be cut uh, shortly. But Maggie, how has this situation happened? How has it? How is it that the government is able to hand over a whole list of things that the that it wants the BBC to do? Well, first of all, I don't think that the free licence fee for over 75s was a good policy, and I don't actually see why uh, a bad policy could not have been uh, changed. And this has been a sort of dreadful game of poker in which the BBC uh, blinked first, because... Uh, it's perfectly possible that next move will be the, the, the government will say uh, licence fees uh, will be free for the over 85s or something. I don't know what they, they'll say, but I, I, I think the BBC was backed into a terrible corner. What really appalls me is that I was at a conference, Royal Television Society conference, three weeks ago in the Barbican in London. Jeremy Hunt was the keynote speaker. He laid out in his speech what the agenda was for renegotiating or negotiating the next five-year phase of the licence fee. It was to start next spring. That is how democracies work. That is how people expected the BBC to be treated. And in three weeks, what has happened is that the Foreign Office is under huge pressure to make cuts. Everybody's under huge pressure to make cuts. S4C was getting £100 million. We know they've had a disastrous uh, relationship with Jeremy Hunt over the past two months. Uh, and they have just been able, the government's just been, all the departments have just been looking for an Aunt Sally to load these things on. But the uh, uh, trouble is, is that, is, is that uh, the BBC um, had already accepted, didn't it, some time ago, that part of the licence fee could be used to pay, yes, to, to they did. pay for other things. It was things. the Trojan horse uh, in, the, in the 2006 uh, BBC Charter and Agreement, which we're still living through. Uh, the, 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 the top brass of the BBC, led by Thompson and Michael Grade, agreed that there would be this uh, reserve 3.5% of the licence fee that would go uh, to pay for um, the social costs of digital switchover up to 2012. Well, now the Greeks have jumped out of the Trojan <laughs> horse, and you know they've come. The Greeks, I mean, we've got top slicing by another. Yeah. I think it's the Greeks. Yeah. Anyway, they were fighting the Trojans, um, and and that's what this is. The, once that principle was breached, um, it, it, we're now in the situation we're in. This is, a, this is not a good day for the BBC. What's happening is that BBC managers Man, who negotiated scary, this are, no, have, are trying to spin this as the best thing the BBC could have, uh, could have landed. It isn't. But uh, there were two things to say. I mean, one is um, that actually virtually all of the things that the BBC is being asked to pay for now are content-based things. The biggest item on the shopping list is the World Service, which is a radio service, which is what the BBC is there to run. Um, and uh, and, and uh, the S4C is a television service, which is what the BBC is there to run. These are not benefits or putting the licence fee into non-content-based uh, activities. So the vast majority of what the BBC is being asked to take on are content-based 
services. Uh, but, you know, we're sitting here as the Chancellor is making announcements about massive cuts in public expenditure, cuts which are going to throw thousands of people out of work, if we're to believe the leaks that we've, that we've heard, cuts which are going to mean that people who live on uh, a few pounds a week are going to have a few less pounds a week to live on because their benefits are going to be affected. It, the BBC was always going to have to... It's only television and radio was always going to have to take some of the pain. And what it's got as a result of this settlement, and I'm just, I think Maggie's a glass half empty, I'm a glass <laughs> half full, what it's got is six years of guaranteed income. It's got six years of a fixed licence fee, which is not going to be subject to further cuts. Now, of course, that's a cut in real terms, and, and they'll have to find efficiency savings and other savings to, to meet it. But it's got a six-year settlement, um, and therefore it's got a planning horizon where it can work out how to, as Paul says, do things more efficiently well, and yeah, effectively. I mean, I, I suppose you could argue it thought it had a, had a settlement last time round, and, 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 and the government has come, come looking for a renegotiation halfway through, but I, you know, I, I completely take your point. You, you say that, Matthew, that uh, there are going to have to be efficiency savings and cuts. Uh, you're, uh, you're a former BBC executive. You've thought about these things in the past. Uh, the BBC has already made significant savings, a lot of money taken out the cost base, thousands of staff uh, already cut since Greg, Greg Dyke left. Um, they're going to have to look at this in, from quite a different perspective uh, this time round. And there is the possibility, I suppose, that whole services, channels perhaps, uh, might, have, might have to go. Well, um, I have no more knowledge of the management thinking than, than you do, but um, uh, obviously they'll look at all the options. And, you know, it, it's hard for uh, a production base to continue to keep making efficiency saving after Slum efficiency slicing. saving after efficiency saving. It's bad for morale. You know, it's difficult for people to be creative under that kind of pressure. Um, but I think in any £3.5 billion organisation, there's always room for more efficiency savings. There's always room for reorganisations that, that, that save you money. Um, but yes, maybe they will have to look at individual services. Maybe they will have to decide. You know, they tried to uh, close down Six Music, but uh, there was yes. a, a, a series of protests about that. So uh, we can... I, mean, I think we can be sure that Six Music is safe. But yeah, it, would have, it would have only have saved, what, nine million? Because it's, it's radio, radio is cheap. They're going to have to look, Maggie, they're going to have to look at television. Well, I mean, you know, let's face it, uh, the tele uh, BBC One is the, by far the biggest spender, 1.1 billion. Uh, we know how much BBC Two, five, 550 million. So uh, over half of the BBC spending actually, one way or another, goes to television. Uh, the obvious solution is to cut BBC Four, roll some of its services into BBC Two, and they'll have to cut the World Service. Uh, we, we're saying it's, it's costing £272 million. It won't be costing that by the time the BBC is funding it. <laughs> they'll cut it right to the bone. That may be a sensible thing. But then remember, the World Service is supposed to be uh, addressing the strategic areas of interest which are foreign office policy. Likewise, monitoring. Monitoring is actually paid for by the Cabinet Office to tip off the Cabinet and other people and Number 10 and, and in, in, in government departments about where the next outbreak of war or, or uh, some Trouble. other dis disruption. Yes, and that's where their priorities are. I've seen their, they have a sort of pyramid of you know, where they are applying their, their, their money. And it's things like monitoring reports on uh, the oil and gas lines that come from Russia and, and the East into Europe. Those are the areas of the, the, that concern them. So it's an entirely different uh, set of policies. Yeah, there, there, will, there will be cuts in, in, in services, and there'll be lots of cuts in jobs, obviously. You know what, Maggie, the thing is, in the context, look, 500,000 people, potentially public servants, are going to maybe lose their jobs. 
Um, you know, if the world service is cut a bit, that maybe has to be a pain we take. The other thing is, is that maybe there's some synergies here. I mean, the world service has always been operated very differently from the domestic radio services. Maybe there's some economies we could actually get by putting those two together. You know, saving on studios, saving on back office staff. Yes, but it's you know, they may. Money. Well, this is actually but the point people is, pay the license fee. Yes. They don't pay it because they want to give Welsh people extra services. The BBC is already paying twenty million pounds effectively for, for, for programmes like Pobbly Cum, which they supply to S4C. What What's going on is that the licence fee payer is being asked to double up payments for all sorts of... Or the licence fee payer also, also, also has the benefit of knowing for the next six years they're going to pay the same amount but of money. I think they'd be the very happy... No, they'd be very nobody happy they're not to be paying a higher licence Don't talk over each other now. <laughs> but nobody <laughs> asks the public. That's my point. Uh, could I just declare an interest yes. as a presenter on the World Service and, uh, and talk a little bit about that? And I'm sure that my colleagues at the World Service will have a lot of questions uh, today, and, and Maggie's um, raised some of them. And I think you know, m- one of my questions is, how will the BBC decide if it's an argument between another costume drama on BBC Two and the Russian service or the Pashto service or the Vietnamese service? Because... Uh, clearly there's a kind of instant feedback from your viewers if you're commissioning another television drama for BBC Two. You can see your ratings go through the roof and so on. There is no such instant feedback necessarily for the long-term strategic benefit of broadcasting in Pashto to Afghanistan or or whatever else it is. And those have always been separate because the Foreign Office has funded them as a matter of national interest. Now it'll be the licence fee payers who have uh, some say in this discussion. And, you know, if I were a licence fee payer, I might not really vote to uh, spend a lot of money on the Pashtu service or the Russian service. I think I'd probably rather have another episode of EastEnders, thank you very much. So I think that is an interesting discussion that's going to go on at the BBC and there are going to have to be some safeguards put in place if the World Service isn't to be badly damaged. It's interesting because because presumably, Paul, now, now that the BBC domestic services or the, or, the, or the domestic managers have got hold of the money, presumably coming with that will be the responsibility for, for, for deciding, deciding which services we're going to run, which had been previously a discussion with the Foreign Office. Well, I hope that there will be a bigger, broader brush, brush approach than that and that uh, there will be some measures, as Matthew says, put in place to ensure that uh, you know, appropriate decisions are taken. I mean, clearly, you know, we know that uh, the view of uh, TV viewers to foreign news is maybe different to that to domestic news. That doesn't mean you don't invest in, you know, in foreign news bureaus and have a very good foreign news gathering service. So there has to be a, you know, a, a check and balance on that process, I think. And, Maggie, what about the, uh, the, uh, this point that you kind of raised, that it... Until now, the, B- the BBC licence fee was intended to pay for something that everyone got. got. Everyone can get BBC television, everyone can get BBC radio, every- everyone gets a local radio station, um, but not everyone gets the world service. Nobody gets the, 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 the language services. This is a real, uh, you know, um, it's, it's quite a moment. You're breaking the link with, with the licence fee and what people see on their screens or hear on their radio. That's exactly my point, and the, pers- the people who pay have not been consulted whatsoever. This is a terribly undemocratic way to run things. I know that we have bigger, uh, huge public uh, sector d- uh, announcements going on, but um, if you really care about the BBC, and I really do, then I'm just really shocked by the events of these past years. And what's more, the kind of questions we're raising about... The, the relationship between BBC executives and the World Service, etc., etc., allocation of funds, 
These are things you should not have done these kind of negotiations in the back of an envelope, breakneck speak, uh, speed being painted into a corner like this. These should be done well, I mean, over they, a period of time. The Maybe no the, well, this is what I say about the BBC being bullied uh, and being treated in, in a way which. Uh, nobody had been prepared for. As I say, Jeremy Hunt only three weeks ago laid out this timetable. I mean, something very serious has happened, and I can't, I'm not going to gloss over it. And well, I don't care wh- whether I sound alarmist or not, but I think that this is a very, very bad day I think, for well, the BBC. Clearly, clearly what's happened, um, uh, Matthew, is that, uh, is that there's a massive spending review going on in, in Whitehall, and uh, suddenly at the last minute, Liam Fox wins a bit of extra money for defence, and so suddenly all the civil servants and other, other departments are, are running around trying to find a, a couple of hundred million here, tens of, tens of millions there, and so I've gone, back on, uh, I've gone back on it. So you could argue, possibly, and you, you know, you're, you've been in, a, in senior positions at the BBC, that, that when you're in a position, position like this, you know, that, that, that they did quite a good job, that Mark Thompson played a pretty canny game. Really. Well, I mean, uh, the process seems... It was either, it's either brilliance or disaster. Well, I have to it? agree with Maggie that the process seems... Weird and, 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 and really strange to negotiate the future of one of the world's greatest public service broadcasters in sort of 24, 48 hours with all-night meetings and goodness knows what. And it does seem as though uh, the DCMS has been pretty much sidelined in, in all of this and that this, is, this has been driven by the Treasury um, and that, that uh, therefore there are some serious questions about the manner in which it was done. Given the cards that they were dealt, it seems to me that the BBC has done as good a job as it could uh, with that gun to its head of a much, much worse um, situation uh, of, of funding these free licences for the over-75s, which is a, effectively a bottomless pit. Mm. I think they've done as well as they can, but I think Maggie's right to raise questions about the accountability of all of this, and she's right to raise questions about the manner in which the government has, has acted towards the BBC. So, look, remember, we now have a BBC which doesn't have a chairman of the trust because he's leaving. Uh, it's, it's open season. The, the, the government, hopefully, it will now restrain itself, but it has the choice of a new chairman, a vice chairman. Uh, he will then pick a new director general. The only good sign I can see in this, in terms of the BBC uh, going forward, is that it has retained control of BBC worldwide. And there are many opportunities to make money, for example, on video, uh, video on demand, on, on its libraries and its intellectual property. And I can only hope that um, they are gearing up. Their, their, they're already very entrepreneurial, but they are going to have to really play a big this part now. This is a very interesting question about Mark Thompson, Paul, isn't it? Because um, he has seen through some br- a bruising period of cuts already. Uh, do you think that he will want to ha- you know, have another go, ra- go around at it and be the axe man again? Uh, or do you get the sense that perhaps now he's negotiated this deal and might say, fuck it, you know, hand, hand it on to somebody else? Well, I, I don't think so. I think Mark is committed to the BBC and I'm sure he's going to see it through. I think, uh, gosh, look, you know, he's a, he's a guy with huge experience and he will realise he's got to go through yet another round of reappraising how the BBC does things. As Matthew says, that can be very demoralising for creatives and he's got to find a way of doing it. The trouble is when you have a, uh, you know, a cost base and you try and sort of take pieces out of it, you end up probably not with an ideal organisation. So he's probably going to have to look at re-engineering how some things are done, some fundamental changes in how things are put together as opposed to just trying to slice some money off. Because at 16% total saving across the piece, that's more than you can just salami slice off. You've got to fundamentally re-engineer. And I think you know, losing services has to be part of that. I think the good news sitting here at a radio festival is that presumably radio is going to be relatively safe because the good news about radio is radio is quite cheap. 
compared to TV. You know, when you're looking at the, the choice of an extra episode of EastEnders or, you know, all the BBC orchestras, you know, that, that's the sort of money you're talking about. So radio tends to be OK. I think that the big challenge is going to be, though, is how that $100 million we keep hearing about for DAB is going to get paid for. And that, I think, is going to be the difficult part of the radio equation, not the radio services. Perhaps the, uh, perhaps the BBC might need a new kind of... Commercial head, I don't know if somebody. Can, can I make somebody, a point? No, here? you can't make any oh, points. Well, you uh, made a lot please. of points already, Maggie. For God's sake. So I don't know if you really shut up, Maggie. It was, it was relating to the new regimes in commercial radio, actually. I mean, one of the things that strikes me being at this conference. I have, I this, trouble. Been, I have this trouble every no, week. No, I haven't been for. I haven't that's, been, not, that's not the question. No, though. but I haven't been for a couple of years. And what's evident, isn't it, that because new regimes have come into commercial radio, they've done things that the old regimes wouldn't have dreamt of doing, like creating national networks. And I'm only suggesting, in the context of the BBC, that if it has to be re engineered, then I would suspect that there will be a new regime. Oh, well, perhaps the BBC could do with a, uh, you know, a new commercially-minded head. I don't know, somebody who's got... Uh, somebody from experience... Uh, somebody who's got experience from multinationals like, uh, oh, I don't know, Pepsi, Procter & Gamble. Somebody from inside the organisation. Can't imagine who that might be. Tim Davy. Right, uh, OK, let's, uh, let's leave all this talk of cuts to one side uh, for the moment and move on to this, our glorious location uh, in Salford, from where I'm sitting uh, in the Lowry Centre. I can see through uh, enormous big windows in this room the BBC's gleaming glass monolith, which will house five live and other assorted ragtail departments, which are being hauled, kicking and screaming, uh, sorry, moving enthusiastically uh, here. Um, uh, now, uh, Paul's pockets are far deeper than Alan Rusbridge's, so he's been staying at the Malmaison in uh, Manchester proper. Still under £100, though. Yeah, all right, very good. Uh, Maggie Maggie, uh, has been staying with me, uh, John Plunkett, and uh, producer Ben in the uh, Salford Holiday Inn Express. Me too. Uh, uh, Matthew too. All in one room. All in one room. We're all sharing the same coffee. Come on. It's been very exciting. Uh, Maggie, so, uh, you know, you've been in this industrial wasteland. uh, Sorry. (laughs) 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 Up-and-coming doctrines development. for what is it, sixteen hours? Yes, I, which, haven't, I haven't been here before. Um, uh, I think you've been here. I think you've been here sixteen hours, which I think is uh, yeah. more than enough time to form an opinion for this show. Um, what do you make of it? Well, I'm, it reminds me very much of downtown America. Um, I, I have a lot of uh, visits to Cleveland in, in Ohio on Lake Erie, and it's very very similar, sort of rust belt that people have poured loads of money in. What I would observe, so it it's, looks very glamorous and it is rather beautiful. There don't seem to be many people around and it just seems quite <laughs> sterile. But this is uh, the Lowry Centre itself, which I'm told is based on a ship, is, is, uh, in terms of design, is actually very interesting. Um, would I want to work and live here? If I was single, I probably wouldn't mind. And if I was you're young, yes, you're young yeah. free and single, Maggie. Young, free and which, single. Which wasn't all that long ago, of course. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> 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 uh, Paul, you're young, free and single. What, um, would it be a place that you would like to? If, if only. Um, work in? I think it reminds me of Canary Wharf in London about ten years ago. You know, it's sort of it's got the buildings, it hasn't got the soul and the heart yet. You know, there's a uh, it's gleaming. Because it's Canary Wharf has, has also got you know, plenty of heart and soul now. No, but the Canary Wharf has. Canary Wharf's got lots of bars and restaurants. Restaurants and you know people. You wander around Canary Wharf, you know, and you just see a lot going on. You know, there's cinemas, there's theatres, and this just sort of lacks the, the soul and the atmosphere. But I think they'll get there. You know, they've now got the 
uh, the media, the, the, the media link, the, um, what do you call it, the metro link, the tram, uh, tram going into, the tram. call it a tram, the tram going into uh, the BBC building. And the BBC building does look magnificent, but I was told by Richard Deverell to be very clear that that building is not entirely the BBC. In fact, the BBC only occupies about a third of it. Yes, it is. Um, and it's, the rest it's, it's is going to be three other buildings people, of the four. Uh, yeah. and, and hopefully they're going to get ITV here and, and others. But, you know, you do get a sense this is probably going to be quite an interesting media hub at some point in the future. But at the moment, it's concrete and steel and needs a bit of salt. Ma- uh, Ma- Matthew, do you, do you agree? Or? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, I'm sure it would be a perfectly lovely place to work. Um, you know, it's got a nice view out of the office over the water and all of that. I wouldn't really want to live here myself. You know, as, as Maggie says, it's rather the, uh, the young executive apartment here, and I think I'm rather the old family man yes. uh, type. Right. So I, I don't think I would uh, want rather, to... Rather like a number of other BBC executives. <laughs> well, Peter, Peter, Salmon, Peter Salmon says he's meeting people he's not met before. Have you met someone you've not met before, I've met an awful lot of people from London at this radio station. <laughs> <laughs> They've come up on the train. Came up on the train with me yesterday, and they're going back again tomorrow. Exactly. Uh, I'm sure that'll be the same with the BBC. There'll be a lot of BBC executives on the train. I mean, is this an issue, uh, Paul? I mean, you know, it's it's an issue for journalists, and we've been making a lot of fuss about it. And but you know, does it matter that Peter Salmon doesn't live here, and does it matter that Adrian Van Claren and go back on the train at the weekends? Ultimately, doesn't matter. It's what they do. But I think I don't think it's helpful. You know, when you're starting, you know, the guy is not committing. I mean, Peter was even late for a session today, coming to his own because city. Because he came on the, tra- yeah. on the train yeah. on the tram. If he'd had a flat here, he'd have been fine. A- a- exactly. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, I-, I-, I don't think it matters ultimately. But, I look, you know, you've got to really work to make this into a, into a media centre. And it's going to take time, isn't it? But I think ultimately the BBC will make it work. Uh, it, it's, it's a question of leadership, I think, isn't it? I mean, the thing is with, you know, fine. I, as I was saying in the session with Adrian Van Claveren this morning, it... Um, uh, he will be able to do his job. He will be in the office the same number of hours as he is in the office in London, no doubt. But I think there's just a thing that if you're the leader and you're, you're, you're expecting people to, on lesser salaries than yours, um, who don't have the ability to kind of tra- travel up and down uh, or, or whatever, um, you know, there are people who are leaving Five Live, for example, you know, who have quit Five Live because they don't want to come here, uh, because they didn't want to come here and felt there was no option but to leave. And it does just... No, I mean, that, that position is untenable. I think they're entirely wrong not to be moving here. I don't see how you can lead from behind. Um, and, I mean, Peter Salmon, in a sense, has... Uh, already been removed from the executive board, and we await, you know, further news. Really, um, I think. I, th- I think it's. I, 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 it's what not can you say? Connected, is it, Maggie? Surely. Of course, it's connected. Don't be silly. Oh. So. Um, <laughs> no. So why, so why did Mark Surely Byford did. go then? What did he do wrong? <laughs> well, actually, poor old Mark Byford, at least he was, you know, speaking to the trust and they all kind of quite liked him. And he was a human being. I mean, the thing that everybody says about <laughs> Mark Thompson is that, you know, the closer you get to him, the colder he is. And that was Janine Gibson's, that, uh, the media, former media editor of the gun, that was her observation. And there is a terrible truth in this, that um, it, it, he doesn't seem to particularly be... Uh, a leader or a, a, a person that uh, can, can take people with him. Matthew, uh, well, you were... Can I just make two observations about this move to the north yeah. uh, business? I mean, first of all, my radical suggestion would have been that they should actually have moved some commissioning here for television. Uh, because if they'd moved some commissioning for television, they'd move few people but large sums of money. Um, and that would have then attracted people to it. So instead of departments being forced to move here, they'd have been beating a path here to get access to that commissioning money. So if they'd moved BBC Two commissioning or BBC Two and Four commissioning or whatever here, then you'd have had departments demanding uh, space here. And secondly, isn't the point really that 
if you want to get different perspectives on the air, in the end, it'll be people who love living here who should be running the place here, not people who've moved up from London. So you hope that the initial vanguard arrive, move up from London and do whatever they do temporarily, and then they move on, and people who've been nurtured and grown here in Manchester or from the north of England are the people who run it, so that you get a totally different atmosphere from the, from the kind of media bubble of, of, of West London. Um, we'll leave that there. I was hoping that this festival or indeed this podcast would be a uh, DAB-free zone. But surprise, surprise, the topic did veer its uh, ugly head again. Ashley Tabor, uh, Global Radio's chief executive, uh, was here, amazingly. We got to see what he, looked, we got to see what we, hear what he sounded like, which is amazing. I'd never heard him speak before. Um, he, uh, he said uh, in his session yesterday that, um, uh, in response to a suggestion that perhaps... BBC Radio, um, BBC Radio 1 and BBC Radio 2 should be moved on to digital only uh, to push people to, to digital. He said uh, it shouldn't just be BBC stations, it should be a global station as well, perhaps. Shows that they, they have been thinking about it. He said uh, we should all hold... If, we, if you're going to jump off a cliff, we should all hold hands to, together. Um, do, do you think that's going to... To happen? Will people want to hold Ashley Tabor's hand, do you think? Well, um, I, it was great Ashley was here, holding his hand metaphorically or, or physically, I think, is another issue. But I think the important point is that um, at the current rate of DAB migration, we're not going to hit the targets that have been set. We're not going to get to the 50% point by 2013 to enable switch-off in 2015. Uh, as Ford Ennals was reminded by um, uh, Jeremy Vine, you know, we're not even halfway to the halfway point. So there's clearly more that needs to be done. And maybe... Uh, you know, big moves like uh, a digital station, uh, an analogue station onto digital will be, will be it. I mean, look, look at the Six Music example. I mean, it took the potential closure of Six Music to double its audience. And, of course, that's been a fantastic thing for DAB. Because now there's, you know, half a million more people who are actually listening to Six Music on DAB. And, and, and Six Music is a very fine radio station. So if you produce um, fantastic content people will find it. You know, it always amazed me on, on AM, you know, and, you know, Matthew and I both worked at Radio 1 you know, together for a few years. Radio 1 did really well on AM for a long, long time. Now, that's not to say AM wasn't crap, it was, but actually, if people do love what they, they're listening to, they will find it. Five Lives is another example. Amazing audience on a medium-wave service. So my point is, if you create great content, we're going to keep on creating, creating great content. Uh, that will help the migration to DAB. We've got to work harder and faster and pedal the bike harder, otherwise we're not going to get there. I, I mean, yeah, but the li- listening is stuck at 24%, isn't it, Maggie? I mean, the, uh, 2015, which is the aspiration date, that's looking, you know, impossible. like pie in the sky, isn't yeah, it? It is impossible, and you have to take the ordinary listener with you, and if they're not migrating, they're not migrating. I, I, I've it's been... not stuck, Maggie, it's growing. It's growing, It's still yes. growing. It's How growing too slow. I'd be very slowly. interested to know, I haven't seen the figures yet, how the scrappage scheme went this summer. Do you remember there was a, yeah. a move that you could take in your beloved, and I did con- contemplate it, beloved uh, Robert's Radio to John Lewis and get yourself a, a digital, set, or more digital sets in my case. And I mean, I personally couldn't contemplate it because I love my red leather uh, uh, Robert's radio, but or one of them anyway. But um, but but I mean that's uh, that's the kind of thing as well that needs to be considered. It's services, but it's also people's attachment to their their, their, their radios, and and there is a real problem. And of and course, there's Matthew, the car. Couldn't they make a small well. DAB radio? I'm yeah. fed up. Uh, the radio is such an old-fashioned technology, um, and you know I, I do everything on my iPhone now, and I'd like DAB radio in my iPhone, please. And uh, I've just got it in my car. But most people I know haven't. Um, so it needs to come to my car, it needs to get into my iPhone, 
Um, and thank you very much. Um, and, you know, but it, needs, it doesn't need to be a separate device. I don't want to carry two devices. I don't have to carry... The great beauty of my iPhone is I've got my iPod in it, I've got my email, I've got everything. I want my radio in it, please, if, if I could well, possibly you know, have that. It's perfectly possible that... I'm not saying Ashley Tabor is the sort of Rupert Murdoch of digital radio, but it does need people with a real passion to drive this and um, to work out how to get the consumers moving. Mm. This very conservative block that are not really that interested... And I don't think you can do it by simply switching off um, an analogue s- service like right. well, well, you radio. Can't, well, you can't switch FM off no. because local radio and community radio is going exactly. to need it. In fact, it's very yeah. interesting in the, in, the, in the local radio session earlier on this morning how people were saying they didn't really give a stuff about DAB. And in fact, uh, Michael Betton, who runs the Links FM group, said that were it not for DAB, he could have spent much more money on content. All right. Um, uh, uh, on that note, uh, the, the red light's flashing, so I think that, uh, from what I know about radio, that means I've got to uh, uh, wrap up. Um, if you're listening uh, back at home, uh, you can post your comments on our blog uh, and read more about everything uh, we've discussed and reports from the radio festival at mediaguardian.co.uk. And there'll be more from our time at the radio festival in future editions of the pod, including interviews with Bob Shannon and uh, Graham Norton, uh, who I also learnt this week is a listener. So, uh, hello, Graham. Um, uh, media talk is produced by Ben Green. I'm Matt Wells. Thank you for listening and goodbye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.